Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Say that part A of the verse with me together, will you? Ready? Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. I feel that stirring in in, in here tonight. And I'm determined, and I know many of you are as well. You know, we're going to fight. We're going to fight against the distractions and the detractors. Here's been my prayer this week. God, I, you know, Elijah, excuse me, Joshua said at the conclusion of the, their time in the wilderness, the mountain where the children of, the, of Anak lived, when he's getting ready to cross, he said, I want that mountain. The mountain. Well, well I, here's what I want. I don't want the mountain of my enemies. I want the mountain of his habitation. Nobody can be on that mountain. Nobody can share that. There's, there's, there's nobody on the mountain of habitation with him. But at the foot of the mountain, there are detractors. Distractions. We're determined to fight against those things and never let ourselves, in the face of unbelievable potential, and it, in the face of incredible invitation, an invitation from the Lord to come short of what is available to us. Amen? Come on, high five your neighbor and just say, more. You can be seated for just a few minutes. I'm not going to be long tonight, but we got we to gotta keep talking about this. Is one thing, listen carefully to me. One thing I learned in, a, in, my, in a, my fight career is this. If you take a loss, you got about 72 hours to get yourself back in the gym and get at it immediately before the negative repercussions of a loss start setting in and messing with your head. Right? I mean, how many of you, you know, listen, when you're, you're, you're teaching your child how to ride a bike and they fall, you don't let them come in the house and say, we'll try it in about three days. Right now, before fear takes hold, you get them back on the bike while it's still fresh and, and, and they can change that reality, right? Get them back on the bike, get them trying again. And I think in the kingdom of God, there, there are moments when things happen that it becomes critical, especially especially on the heels of a visitation of the Lord. That you've got to fight with everything that's in you not to let things go back to what was normal. Pastor's on a series right now called Redefining Normal. Redefining Normal as it pertains to our faith. Redefining Normal as it pertains to family. Um, this Sunday, we're moving into Redefining Normal as it pertains to our finances. And when God shows up, here's the thing that it does. It exposes. Now listen, listen carefully to me. Because when the presence of God breathes into a place and, and, and people rush to the altar and cry out to God and are seeking his face, here's what it exposes. And we feel this, we feel the surge of power and presence in the room. It doesn't, well, expose seems to be a, a harsh word because it sounds like it leans more towards a negative, you know, judgmental kind of thing than anything else. But that's not at all the context that I'm using that in tonight. What it, it, do, what it does is it, is 
it, is, it goes, look, I, we've been coming to church all along. I've been walking with the Lord all along. And you mean there's another level of authority? There's yet another level of power? There's yet another level of presence? You mean I can move from visitation to habitation? You mean that song that little granny used to sing in my, that Pentecostal church I grew up in, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells, that's a reality. That's not just a good song. Come on, somebody. Because here's what happens. In the same way that numerous experiments and studies have shown us, pastors talked about some on Sunday morning, the, the illustrations about the ants from the equator and and uh, this past Sunday, you, you'll remember he talked about, you know, the fleas. You take a jar of the, put the, a jar and fill it full of fleas and put a lid on, give them some, you know, little pinholes to breathe. They'll jump as high as the lid, keep hitting that lid. And th- you do that for three days and then you can take the lid off of the jar and they will still never jump higher, even though their potential is to jump at least 24 inches or two feet off the ground. Right? Because in the same way that that imposed limitations create an acceptance of those limitations. So also do repeated encounters with God. Listen carefully, look at your neighbor and say, did you catch that? And the same way that imposed limitations long enough become accepted as that which is normal. So does it go with encounters with the Lord. Infrequent, once upon a time, once in a great while visitations may not render the same result Which is why when you have a visitation from the Lord, you don't sit back and retreat and see how long the residue of that visitation will last. If God visits you on Monday morning, then you're banging on the gates of heaven Monday night and saying, God, you just ruined me. You can't come visit me on one day and leave me fending for myself the next day. If you would visit me on Sunday, then be with me on... On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so in the same way, repeated encounters with the Lord put you in that posture of habitation rather than just visitation. Just as the limits are imposed by a constant association to them, staying in the place of God's habitation is also experienced by constant and frequent exposure to it. Because the fact of the matter is, what I'm talking about tonight is spiritual hunger. I want to talk about recreating what you call hunger, what we call hunger. Redefining, or I said recreating, redefining what we call hunger, redefining what we consider full. It's like, listen, I know when I go to a Chinese food place, I can eat until I'm repenting. It hurts so bad. And I know in reality, I feel so full, like I barely stumble out to the parking lot, get in my car, but I already know what's going to happen in an hour and 47 minutes. I will be hungry again. I don't know what it is about that. It's just, that's just the reality. And am I the only one in the building? Anybody? Got, I got a witness in here tonight. Come on, Chinese food, you stuff yourself and you're hungry in two hours or less. 
We have to redefine what it means to be full and how we define uh, normal, how we define hunger. Because the fact of the matter is whatever you give attention to will fill you with the desire for more of that. The scripture in Matthew, when Jesus is teaching, we call it the Sermon on the Mountain, in that he you know, gives us the Beatitudes or what have you. He makes a statement. He said, blessed are those who hunger. So hunger is in and of itself a blessing, which means that even the ability to be hungry comes from the Lord. We all want to be inhabited. We all want to be have an encounter with God. But if, if the, as the scripture says, blessed are those who hunger for they shall be filled, then the blessing of hunger comes before being filled. Then that means the prayer to have God invade us. The prayer to have an encounter with God needs to be preceded by a prayer where we ask God to really make us hungry. I could tell you, I'm going to preach tonight better than you're going to respond. Whatever you give attention to has the incredible ability to create a desire for more of itself. Listen to what Psalm 84, 1 and 2 says. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here's what we have to get comfortable with or get, get reacclimated to. And that is that desperate hunger is not a sign of weakness. To run to the altar crying out for God, for more of him, is not an indicator that your life is messed up and jacked up. In fact, if you sit back and resist opportunities to go after God like he's all that matters, that gives us more cause for concern than the person that runs and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Hunger is not a sign of weakness, but it is a driving force that will focus you. It's a force that will motivate you and move you. It is the most accurate indicator that we have of the vibrancy and the health of your spiritual life. Let me say that again. Hunger is the most accurate indicator that there is for the, the, the overall health of your spiritual life. When we go and have friends, loved ones, family members, we've recently gone through this with some of our our family back out in California. When the doctor ever comes out of the room and says they're not eating, they have no appetite, that's when you should be worried. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You've ever been through that and they just, you know, they've stopped eating. There's no hunger. There's no appetite. Because as long as you're eating, there's hope for life. As long as the body is still producing those pangs of hunger, it, the body is still in fight. It's still saying, I can fix this. I can, I can work on this. But when you, when you stop eating, when there is no more appetite, you don't have the ability to be hungry anymore. The end is most likely near. 
Hunger will overcome any weakness in your life. Hunger will trump every failure in your life. I feel like I need to say that again, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get stuck unwrapping that too much, but it sounds so simple. But listen, the very thing, the very thing that keeps people from really going after God, because sometimes I feel like we, we get this idea. We, we, if we're in a conversation about it, we would know enough about the word, most of us, that we would deny that, right? That, that we have to somehow qualify. That we, to really go after God, you've got to reach a certain place where everything is, you know, cleansed and filtered out of your life because after all, God is holy. But the scripture says, come boldly before the throne of grace. When? When you are in the most trouble. And it doesn't matter what kind of constantly reoccurring weakness there is in your life. Hunger will overcome that. Does it matter what level of failure, moral, principle, in any kind of way, your hunger will trump your failures. Because here's how we worry. If we've got somebody that's in the hospital, right? I mean, they're, they're laying on the bed and they're fighting for their life, but they're still eating. There's hope. When we start really worrying and we start sensing the end may be near is when they just say, I'm done. I don't want to eat. I can't eat. I'm not hungry. It doesn't matter how jacked up your life is. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made or how many times you've made the same mistake. The only time we worry about that is when there's not a level of hunger that drives you to the presence of God. Yes, you may be twisted and yes, you may be upside down. Yes, you may have, you know, uh, uh, flaws and, and, and failures in your life. But if you stay hungry for God, you will overcome those things. When you stop chasing after God like he's all that matters, that's when we start being concerned. Because we know that God will in no wise cast out somebody who comes to him and throws himself at his feet. To obtain mercy. Hunger attracts God more than any level of talent, gifting, or position. Sometimes position, gifting, and talent adversely and negatively affects people's hunger. It's like the familiarity and the complacency perhaps that was on the disciples that were hanging out with Jesus and going on the missionary trips with him and being in the crowd when the miracles were happening. But when it came right down to their ability to address a situation from darkness and have, a, have an answer for it, then they were wanting, they were lacking. Hunger keeps you in his presence. Everybody say hunger is a gift. Blessed are those who hunger, which means the ability to be hungry is an answer to prayer. It's what God does for you. Spiritual hunger must be acted on. Spiritual hunger begets hunger. Here's how you know if you have a healthy level of hunger. 
Number one, you can't wait to make time to be in the word. I should have had a better amen, but I'll keep going. Number two, you long for a place to pray alone during the day. Number three, worship is a non-negotiable passion in your life. When you're hungry, you will not spectate in a worship service. You will go after God like your life really depends on it. Because the fact of the matter is if you really had good spiritual discernment, you would know that is true. Your life does depend on it. Before church services become crucial to your walk with God. Not optional. Somebody hurry, say move on. They become crucial to your walk with God. Not an option of convenience or not convenient. You long for fellowship with other believers. Say, move on. (laughs) You always, you look for and you ask God constantly to give you opportunities to share Jesus. You avoid without having been out, out without having to be told to. You avoid the things that compromise your closeness with Jesus. Nobody has to preach it to you. Nobody has to give you a list of rules. Nobody has to tell you what is wrong, what is good, what is not good. Nothing is more important than being in solitude with the Lord. I I read again this morning, here's here's what the medical journals say. There's more. There's a lot of things that can contribute in the natural realm of consideration to a loss of appetite and whatever. There's blood sugar and there's medication reactions. There's all kinds of things. Uh, But but in in, in a nutshell, here's what the medical journal says. The three primary things that can contribute to your appetite, positively or negatively, is this, number one, improper amounts of sleep and rest. This could affect having an appetite at all or it affects having an appetite for junk. In fact, they're, they're, they're connecting a lot of the unhealthy appetites, the craving for junk food. I know all about that, okay? I know all about that. My daily routine is I go to bed with the handful of four double-dipped coated malt balls from H-E-B. You ever tried those? They'll make you feel like you're at the marriage supper of the lamb. I promise to God. I understand those cravings. And you know what they say? It's usually you're not getting enough sleep. Not enough rest. You see, I get plenty of rest. I get five hours of sleep a night. That's not enough. And you will pay for it when you're 60. You need seven to nine. You say, how did this all of a sudden turn to like, you know, a lesson on my sleep habits? Because you know what I found out? I found out uh, just recently the number one killer in America. You know what it is? The number one killer in America. It's not cancer. It's not heart attacks, anything. You know what it is? Sleep apnea. That's what all the medical people say. 
It's hard to pinpoint that because it just directs. It's not like you, you get five hours of sleep in a night or three hours of sleep and you wake up and something's terribly wrong. But the pattern of not being able to sleep, not being able to get into deep sleep and max that out for the appropriate amount of time, you start paying for it later. And then later all these things pop up and you go, that's what took her. That's what took him. That's what killed him. No, what killed him is way back here. He wouldn't get enough sleep. Say, why is that important? Because the reason why some people don't have the right level or the right kind of spiritual hunger is they don't know how to rest in the Lord. Mark 6.31, listen to what, what Jesus told his disciples. He said, then, then because there were so many people coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I feel like that's what Jesus is telling a lot of us. Get by yourself somewhere. Get some rest. Learn how to sit back and be separate from your anxiety and distant from your fears and apart from all your insecurities. Learn how to rest in the Lord. This is the, re- this is the refreshing. This is the rest. Improper rest or sleep. Listen, this, this would apply even to, more to some of us, a lot of us. Who are, who are actively engaged in serving and, and volunteering. And every time, you know, you can come to church and be so busy working. And realize that you've been coming to church. You haven't missed a service in six months and you've probably worshipped three. Not you. And that's not an indictment. Everybody. I'm saying that's the possibility. Come on. Am I telling the truth or am I you just waiting for me to hurt and get done? The fact is, is you can be a Mary or Martha. You can, you can do what everybody else would look at and say, you're wasting time. You should be producing. You should be this, that, and the other. Or you could be in the kitchen working, working, busy, busy. The only important thing is which one of those occupations did Jesus more favorably respond to? He looked at the busy one and said, don't get upset with her. This is what you ought to be doing as well. Sometimes you need to learn how to rest. And on a Wednesday night in the middle of my preaching is not the time for it either. I'm kidding. (laughs) Come on, look at your neighbor and say, get some rest. Some of us are afraid. We, won't, we don't like alone time. We don't like quiet time because our thoughts are noisy. We don't know how to shut our own brain off. Some of us are very uncomfortable to be alone with ourselves because we don't trust ourselves. Some of you will not be alone with yourself because you don't like yourself. I know what I'm talking about. I've, I've been in this long enough, folks. I'm third generation. I'm 55. I was born in this thing. Some people, to be alone, it terrifies them. Every chance Jesus got to steal away from the crowd and be in solitude, be alone and rest, he took advantage of it. Sometimes you have to just shut the phone off, shut the distractions off, close the door. Don't bite everybody's head off, but you got to tell people, listen, for the next 40 minutes, can you just not bother me? Can you not talk to me? Can you stay out of this room or you, can you, what? 
Jesus knew what was ahead for the disciples. And he said, listen, get over here. Get away with me to a place by ourselves so you can rest. Some of us don't have spiritual hunger because we're so busy working for God. You can be so busy working for God that you don't get enough rest and your spiritual appetite is all cattywampus. Yes, that is a word too. Second thing they say is malnutrition. That's a no brainer, but can I talk about it for just two minutes? The reason why some folks don't experience that intense level of spiritual hunger is they have an appetite for garbage. They just eat way too much junk. And because you're in a church, thank God, if you, 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 if you came, if you're in a different kind of church, you'd understand what I'm talking about. You're in a church that's not going to get up here every service and somebody tell you every place you cannot go, everything you cannot watch, everything you can do and cannot do. That's not, that's not the way this church functions. We respect the role of the Holy Spirit in your life to lead you and guide you. Right? You can't sit and engage in activities and behaviors and just wait to stop until the church jumps all over it. Church may never jump all over it because maybe it's not an issue. It just is for you. You can't eat double dipped chocolate malt balls all day and, and be hungry for a nutritious meal. I, I can talk about this and not feel like a hypocrite. I know what my deal is and I'm working on it. You just pray for me. I need the prayer and you need the practice. <laughs> you eat too much junk. Here's the third thing. and I'm getting ready to close with this. It's dehydration. You don't drink enough water. Stay with me. This has a very, very applicable spiritual meaning. Lack of water is, 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 is a starting point for all kinds of debilitating conditions in the body. One of the things that has transformed my son, as you know, who was on his deathbed five years ago. He was flying to South America and pretty much dehydrated. At 38,000 feet in an airplane, developed a massive blood clot in his calf. That will happen, especially when you're dehydrated. When he gets there, after a few days, it dislodges from his calf, turns into a massive pulmonary embolism. Finally get him back to L.A. His heart is all messed up, two and a half times the size of normal. Liver shutting down, kidneys shutting down, 80% of his lung tissue dead. The doctor said he's not going to live. He walks around with this gallon jug. It's a full gallon every day of his life. It's like, you know, we're just, we're going here or there. Like, do you have, does that jug got to come with you everywhere? I'm telling you, everywhere you see him, you'll see him that little whole full gallon jug. And he'll drink two of those or at least one and a half of those every single day. Most of us do not get enough water. We don't. I mean, you think if you, you know, stay at the drinking fountain about four seconds extra in the morning and again at night. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you got to drink more water. Jesus said it like this. 
He said, he that believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. People have diminished spiritual appetites because they don't spend enough time flowing in the Holy Spirit. And I say flowing, I'm not talking about externally, going after every other thing and other people. And, and you know, the Holy Spirit, and he will, but, but I'm talking about the, 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 the greater, there's a greater chance of the Holy Spirit being able to manifest through you if there's freedom for him to manifest in and throughout you. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, there's a well of living water looking to spring up out of you. You have to learn how to drink. Get enough water. Spend enough time. Experience enough activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not just for others, but re replenishing and revitalizing you. The writer said it like this, build yourself up, building ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the spirit. Copious amounts of time praying in the spirit, praying in tongues does wonders for your spiritual appetite. You know why? Because the Bible says it like this, Robert, help me. The, the Bible says it like this, that when we know not what to pray as we ought, we don't, let me say it in the NIV version. When we don't really know how to pray, we don't know what to say. We feel the call, the urge to pray, but we get down to pray and we, we just run out of words and, 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 and what have you in a few minutes. I know nobody's ever experienced that, right? That's Californians. Romans 8 tells us that when we get into that situation, the Holy Spirit will pray through us according to the will of God, which means that when you're praying in the Spirit, you are never praying a prayer that has a 50% chance of being misdirected or wrong. When I'm praying about a situation, hopefully I've had some discernment spiritually before I pray and I can pray in the right direction. But you could be praying that God would just, you know, really mess up that boss's life because he's such an evil man who's made such a life so hard for you. And God's intention may, come on, maybe to pray him through to salvation through you. I mean, there's a, you can be praying about a situation. God, I'm confronted with it. I don't know what to do. It's 50, 50. I could go, I could be praying the right thing or the wrong thing. When you're praying in the Holy ghost, you are never praying wrong because the Holy spirit doesn't pray amiss. He prays according to the perfect will of God. And when you pray in the spirit, even if it's 10 minutes a day, you pray in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is praying according to the perfect will of God about all things that pertain to you. There's the things that need to be moved out of your life that you may not even be aware of. Paul said it like this. I'm going to get into a theology teaching deal here tonight. But Paul said this. He said, when I pray in the spirit, I pray without my understanding. Some people who are against that, they say, well, when you pray in tongues, you pray without your understanding. Sometimes I don't want to understand what I'm saying. Sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to say things in me and through me that I, he doesn't want me to understand. I'm not ready yet. I don't have the capacity. My desire for more has, it has surpassed 
my capacity for the moment. But in the same way that a lack of water, in the same way that dehydration, it jacks up your appetite in the natural world. So does trying to follow after God without daily communion in the Holy Spirit. It jacks up your spiritual appetite. That's just the simple truth 101. High five your neighbor and say yes and amen. Here's what we got to do. We got to fight, ladies and gentlemen. We got to fight against familiarity. We have to fight against indifference. We have to fight against complacency. We have to fight against, you know, we've heard the, the phrase, good is the enemy of great. We have to fight against the idea of what was okay in light of when God has exposed that there is more. You know, uh, William McDowell and I were talking Sunday because I, I picked him up from the airport. And as we're driving here, I was telling him, you know, he was asking about the pulpit and so forth. And I said, yeah, I, I, I've, I was here. I was in that service. I was right there on the front row and experienced the, the, the whole thing. And so he asked me a few questions on it. And I said, here's, here's, here's one of the big takeaways from it. It destroyed me. It ruined me, as was the case with just about everybody else that was a part of it. Here's how it ruined me. It's like, it's like getting on this diet of, you know, pure grass-fed from Argentina filet mignon. And you've been eating that and somebody's all of a sudden trying to get you excited about spam. How can you even get remotely excited about a hot dog when you've had for breakfast and lunch, you know, steak and eggs? So every time you pardon me tonight, if, 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 if you might feel like, well, he just, he just, Pastor Steve just kind of riled up because, you know, we had a great, you know, a, people running the altar and crying out to God. No, because here's what it does. Every time that I get around and every time God, you know, moves closer to us and every time there's, you know, any kind of demonstration, here's what it does. It takes me back to the experiences and the, 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 the place of, of, that we lived and then holds the mirror up in front of you and shows you, listen, you didn't even realize when it happened. You didn't recognize how it happened. But there was a season where you lived almost in the Shekinah glory of his presence daily. And now you're excited about them happening every once in a while. All it does is the Spirit of God just reaches inside and said, listen, don't forget, at least this much, don't forget that there's more. If you're not going to go after God like a junkyard dog right now, at least this much, don't forget and don't forget that there's more. We brought this situation to the disciples and they couldn't handle it. They couldn't do it. Jesus just said, 
took care of the situation. And the fact that the difference, the fact that where the disciples were and the level of comfort that they had learned to function in and, and the potential for so much greater was suddenly exposed. Now how you respond to that is, is the difference maker. Tell your neighbor, come on, as you stand with me, look at him and say, if there's more, I'm going to get it. Come on, look at the person on the other side of you. Say, if there's more, I'm all about it. 